0: I think it's the last one, but we'll see, okay? The subtitle is Unity, and so you'll see the subtitle is going to come out here in just a moment. But anyhow, in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 12, powerful book, the book of Hebrews, study it, it'll bless you. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Those precious three words. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve yourself? to serve others to serve those that put the most pressure on your life to to serve whom to serve God the motivation that we all should have to serve God individually and collectively is found right here in these verses the blood of Jesus Christ who took his blood to the high court of heaven and offered it for the eternal redemption of mankind and why do I say that? Well, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I will not have to suffer the wrath of God throughout eternity. If it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ, we all would have to suffer the wrath of God throughout eternity in a place called a lake of fire, separation and suffering. Does that sound good to you forever? Absolutely not. But you see, we've got to go back to really deeply appreciate the blood. Uh, it's called the crimson thread. It's a bloodline that starts in the book of Genesis, and if you follow it, it goes all the way from Genesis through Revelation. And we start with Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, where God himself made a covering for Adam and Eve after they had sinned. If you recall the story, what you discover is this. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were ashamed and they were guilty, and they hid themselves. They covered themselves with fig leaves. And why? To cover their guilt and shame. Well, that wasn't sufficient. That's a type of man trying to cover his own guilt and shame and make himself presentable to God. Well, that's called religion, religious traditions and and works, the works of men. We can't do that. We can't save ourselves. We can't find the way back to God on our own. But in Genesis 3:21, we are told that God himself made a covering for Adam and Eve. And it took a sacrifice in order for him to be able to do that. And what did he do? He probably used lambs, I would think. And he sacrificed lambs and he covered them from head to toe. And that's how we need to be covered. God's word teaches us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. We don't want to be covered with filthy rags, do we? See, we can never make a way back to God on our own. But he shed the blood of an innocent lamb and then clothed them, covered them, which is a type of being clothed with righteousness so that he could have uh, communication with them and interaction with them. That's how it started. But God had to do it. Now, think about this. The millions of gallons of blood that were shed... From Genesis three twenty-one to Genesis four four, when Abel offered a blood sacrifice, but Cain didn't, and you take it all the way down through Jewish history, and you see even the week of Passover when these millions, thousands and thousands and millions and millions of gallons of blood that were shed to do what? To protect us from the wrath of God, to reconcile us to the Father. All that blood that was shed could not do it. Impossible. The blood of bulls and goats and animals could never reconcile us to God. Never enable us to have a relationship with God. Never protect us from the wrath of God throughout eternity. But you know what? There's a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. You talk about precious blood. When Jesus walked on this earth and he housed the only blood that can reconcile man back to God and he went to a cross where he shed his blood he spilled his blood upon the earth and then by the eternal spirit of god who extracted it from the earth and put it in a basin for him when he was raised up from the dead and he went to the place where adam and eve were banished and kicked out and removed from and he walked up to the cherubim and seraphim that were there and he had them step aside because he entered in with the basin of blood that he had which is his own blood and he went to the judgment seat and turned it back into a mercy seat, praise God, but as he took his blood and sprinkled it all over and cleansed or undid what Adam did in the very beginning. Only that blood can save us from the wrath that is to come. That's it. Now you think about that and look what the verse said again. If the blood of sacrificial animals can cause people to do certain things physically, how much more should the blood of Jesus Christ be our motivation to serve him with a pure conscience. Think about that. Then you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And here we have Jesus speaking to John on the Isle of Patmos, And look at what it says. Revelation, chapter 1 and from Jesus Christ who was the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us paupers unworthy worms in the dust he made us what? what did he make us? Kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You and I, if you've been born again, have been washed in the only blood that can save a sin-sick soul. The blood of Jesus Christ, when we were cleansed by it, made us kings and priests. Or, as a better translation would be, a kingdom of priests before God. And as a kingdom of priests, our duty and responsibility is to fulfill priestly duties and responsibilities. We are to serve God, which is what the priest was to do. Well, as priests unto the Lord, we serve him individually. As individuals, we're born again. We obey him by getting baptized in water. We obey him by getting filled with the Holy Ghost. We obey him by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus in the way. We obey Him by renewing our minds to the Word of God and seeing to it that we overcome sin and by the grace of God walk in the light that He has provided for us through His Word as we study His Word and as we pray. But that's just one aspect of it. Also, collectively, By committing ourselves to a local body of believers where we collectively join together with others, we bring the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God has imparted to us by His Spirit, and we use them to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. We use them to really win the world for Jesus. You realize that we are making an impact, as well as other churches around the world, an impact in the world by touching hearts and changing lives with the life-changing truths of the gospel. And you see... This is what God would have us to do. Every single one of us to worship Him and serve Him individually, but also collectively as a church body as we are here today. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians, just in case we might think otherwise, what a blessed truth we're about to hear. Look at chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20. What know you not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God and you are not your own. He was just talking about in this chapter that food is made for the belly and the belly is made for food. But the body of man is not made for sexual immorality or fornication. The body is made for the Lord, because if you join yourself to a harlot, you're making yourself one with a harlot. So he goes on to say, what don't you know? This was an issue with the church there at Corinth. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have a God and you are not your own for you are bought with a price. We just saw the price. You're not redeemed with silver. We've not been redeemed with gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's Notice this. He said, we're not our own. Would you say that with me? I'm not my own. I've been bought with the price by the blood of Jesus Christ. He owns me. (laughs) Amen. He owns us. And you see, if we want to spend our eternity with him, then praise God, we'll let him own us. And we'll allow him to do what he wants to do in us and through us. Make sense? Okay. Now, this is where unity comes into play. Every single one of us individually is to serve the Lord. But also every single one of us is to be committed to a local body of believers where we join together with other believers in unity and harmonious love so we can accomplish and achieve certain goals that he has for us, let's say, in this assembly of believers. And remember, we're only responsible to do what he wants us to do here, not what he's called others to do out there. Can you see that? So look at Psalm 133, beginning at verse 1. New Living Heart, King James Rather Translation, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers fuss and fight. (laughs) Now live together in harmony, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, And there, the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Where? Right there. Under that precious anointing that comes upon harmony and unity among brothers. Notice this. Well, you could say it like this. Better understand this. You ever get a group up here to start singing and not one of them can sing on key? And then try to get them to harmonize with each other? Or have you ever played a guitar that's out of tune? Doesn't sound good, does it? Things are wrong. Same, it's the same with people. When we're of the same heart, same mind, one accord, in unity and harmony, serving the Lord together, God has pronounced a blessing there. And it means that his, his hand of blessing and approval will be upon that ministry and he'll see to it that his glory floods the place and that his power is in manifestation and that people are being saved, delivered, and set free. Look at Mark's gospel chapter 3, and we'll see something here. Jesus speaking after he was accused of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And he said, if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So in other words, what is he saying? United we stand, divided we fall, right? Right? But here he's accused of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And he actually says this, that Satan is not against himself. He's not working against himself. Well, in that place of unity, we'll find God's hand of blessing. He'll pour out his spirit, manifest his glory. But where there's division and there's strife and envy and every evil work, it's difficult for God's purposes to be accomplished because the anointing's not going to be there to do it. He doesn't put his hand of approval upon that. He wants people to live together in harmony so that his blessings can be realized. Now I'm going to give us three powerful weapons. Why it's important that we strive for harmony and unity. Not just in a body of believers like this, but also in your marriage and your family, etc. And we'll talk about that in a moment as well. But number one, it creates a force that the enemy cannot penetrate. When people live together in unity and harmony. It creates an impenetrable force. The enemy cannot penetrate that. He can't get in to do his evil work. Look in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12. This is from the New Living Translation. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And you can see the illustration there. If you have one person fighting... Someone gets behind you, no one's got your back. But if you get two and they stand back to back, someone else has got your back. It's their chances to win the battle rises. But a threefold cord is not easily broken. In other words, it's even better. So when you got people working together, it's more powerful. You can also use this as an illustration. You take one pencil in your hand, it's easy to break it. You put two and tie them together, it's harder to break You put three together, it's even much harder to break. So there's power in unity. Can you see why the enemy strives to get division among people? I'll be honest with you. It just takes two people to have division. Division means dual vision. I've got my vision. You've got your vision. Dual vision, husbands and wives or uh, business partners and that sort of thing. Whatever, the enemy will try to get in to bring division among the people. And if they don't recognize that and realize that, then he's going to have his way. But when they recognize that and realize that and put forth effort and energy to see to it that they achieve unity and harmony with each other, guess what? The enemy can't get in. Look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32 and verse 30. Here, another principle. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them? And the Lord had shut them up. This is revealing to us the law of synergy. Synergy is when the combined effect is greater than the sum of their separate effects. And the illustration that I gave you is like two horses. One horse can pull a thousand pounds. Another one can pull eleven hundred pounds. Together you would think they can pull twenty one hundred pounds. Makes sense because that's their individual power that they have. But when you put them together for some reason, when you yoke them up together for some reason, they're able to pull 2,500 pounds. And this has been proven to be true. How is that possible? If one's limit is 1,000, the other limit is 1,100, how is it possible that combined they can pull, pull more than their individual? Synergy. That's what synergy is. And so can you imagine when you and I hook up with God or when we hook up with each other? The power that's created, two people coming together in agreement. Jesus said, whatever you agree on, it will come to pass. So there's power in agreement, and that's what he's trying to say. So we create a force that the enemy cannot penetrate. He can't get into a church where people are walking in unity and harmony with each other. He can't get into a family where all the family members are knit together in love, walking in harmony with each other. He can't get into a business or a corporation where the people are of the same heart, same mind, and of one accord working together to achieve their purposes. He just can't do that, which is why it's so important for people to recognize this and come together and work together as one. Number two, it makes it easier for people to achieve their goals or accomplish their goals and purposes and realize their dreams. Look at the book of Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, this is the New Living Translation, beginning at verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Wow. It's not like that today, is it? As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let us make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches unto the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the, pe- the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. They're united. They're in harmony. They're in agreement. And they all speak the same language after this. Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Wow. Come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city is called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So here we see God himself saying that when people come together in unity and they work together in harmony and they set out to achieve a goal, nothing will be impossible for them to achieve their purposes and have their dreams realized. And so what does he do? He has to confound their languages so they can't understand each other they don't know what they're saying to each other what a situation to be a part of can you imagine being a part of that we're all talking just like we're talking here today and all of a sudden everybody starts talking a different language can you imagine them looking at each other like what in the world are you saying i don't understand now sign languages are coming into play here you know my head hurts what want me to hit you in the head Because you don't understand what they're saying. And so that took place. Why? To bring confusion. So they wouldn't be in harmony. So they wouldn't work together. God himself said they'll achieve great goals. Nothing will be impossible to them. So if they can do it. Can you imagine what we can do as believers? And look at 1 Corinthians. Paul knew this. 1 Corinthians. Look what it says. Chapter 1 verse 9 to 13. Now God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you brethren. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, speak the same language, speak the language of faith, speak the language of love, speak the language of unity, speak the language of harmony, working together one with another. And that there be no what? Divisions or dual vision among you. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, think the same way, in in the same judgment, the way you see things and judge things according to the word of God. Now notice this, for it has been declared to me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now someone thought that Chloe was a gossip for saying all this. But no, Chloe was concerned about the contentions among the people. And Chloe was concerned that they're undermining the work of God. Chloe was concerned that the purposes of God would not be fulfilled because of what was going on with them. And we're going to show you that in a minute. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas or Peter, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Paul Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So what's he saying? You've got to stop thinking that way. That's divisive. When you say, I'm in this camp, I'm in that camp, I'm in this camp, I'm in that camp. And you have that kind of an attitude it brings division among the people. And as a result, they can't come together corporately and collectively and be in agreement or in unity and carry out the purpose of God. So it's gonna, they're going to be defeated in their endeavors. Now. It's easier to accomplish our goals when we're of the same heart, same mind, and we have the same speech and same language that we talk the same thing. Well, you say, well, how do we do that? You ready for it? Right here. Right here. What I think doesn't matter. What he thinks ultimately matters. What I say is right and what is wrong doesn't matter. What he says is right and is wrong is what matters. Can you see that? So when people come together and say, we're going to do it God's way, then we're going to do it God's way and succeed because God's way can't fail. He'll anoint it when we make a decision to say, I want to do it your way. I want to live my life your way, not my way. Praise God. Number three, it makes a highway for God to move. We've seen this before, but look at it again in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Unity makes a highway for God to move. When God's people gather together and they're, In unity and harmony. Their motives are pure. They're set apart and sanctified for the purpose of worshiping God. And they're one in their efforts to worship God truly from the heart with pure motives. Look at what it says. It came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals... And instruments of music and praise the Lord saying for he is good for his mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with the cloud even the house of the Lord so that the priest could not minister for by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. So we see here that God anoints unity. God manifests his presence where there's unity. And when people are united with the right motive of heart and they're serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord together, he manifests his glorious presence and power. And there's nothing but miracles that will take place and signs and wonders and demonstrations of God's power and might when the people come together and harmonize and worship him and serve him together. But now, secondly, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 33. Now, if you recall the story, Peter and John went to the temple gate called beautiful this man was asking alms as they entered into the temple who was lame from his mother's womb would never walked peter fastened his eyes on him with john and said look on us and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something from them and peter said silver and gold have i none but such as i have give i thee in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand lifted him up And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He walked and leaped into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And, of course, the people gathered around when they saw this wonderful miracle take place. And what did they do? They wanted to exalt them. But Peter said, no, 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 no. Don't look at us as if by our own holiness we've done such a thing. He said, his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. The faith that is by him has given this perfect soundness in the presence of all of you. And when the religious leaders heard this, you would think they would be ecstatic because he's at the temple gate begging just for survival. And what happens? This same man who's begging is now walking and leaping and praising God in the temple and they know who he is. But instead of rejoicing and being glad, they're upset. They're angry. They don't want to hear it. So they call Peter and John aside and they take him aside and they say to Peter and John, hey, listen, don't you preach or teach ever again in the name of Jesus? And Peter said, listen, should we obey you or should we obey God? That's right. That's what I thought, Aaron, too. And so, after threatening them further, the Bible says, they sent them away. And we pick it up right here in verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God. How? With one accord. In the midst of circumstances that are adverse. In the midst of persecution and tribulation, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, you are God you made heaven, earth, and seen all that in them is. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, uh, were gathered together for to do whatsoever your counsel determined afore for it to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may preach thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be wrought, or done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with, notice this, great power, oh hallelujah. Gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So how did they achieve great power? How did they achieve great grace? They were in unity. And even when the enemy tried to undermine their unity. By doing what? Persecuting their leaders. Taking them aside. Commanding them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Instilling fear within their hearts or their minds. That's what they tried to do. But what did these people do? I love this. They went to their own company. They went to their own company. We're our own company. Other people of like precious faith. And when they went to their own company, they said, did you hear what they said? This is what they said. Not to teach, not to preach, but we told them, should we obey God or obey you? Man, we're going to obey God. And that's when they lifted up their voice to God and said, You're God. You made heaven, and earth, sea, and all that didn't miss. You said all these things. Now praise God. And what ha- happened? God's power fell as their hearts were united as one. Great grace was upon them. Great power was upon them. And they proclaimed Jesus even in a greater way as a result. You read chapter 5 and what happens is even by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Even the shadow of Peter overshadowing those that were on beds and cots that were in, in situations where they couldn't walk or they were sickly or die- and dying were all instantly healed by the glory that was manifested at that time. Do, do you see what we're saying here? When God's people come together and they have that same heart, same mind, and same attitude and same speech, it gives place to the glory of God manifesting among us for signs and wonders and demonstrations of God's mighty power. Now, how do we promote unity? Well, since you've asked, I'll answer. By understanding certain things, understanding the vision, number one. Understanding what? The vision. We've got to be able to see it. We all have to be able to see it in order for us to participate in it. But we're all to serve God. We're all to serve one another. And we're all to serve people of the world to bring them into the fold. But our vision here at Christian Assembly Church, it's stated in your bulletin. It should be anyhow. To proclaim or preach the total gospel for the total deliverance and development of the total man. It is to get the law saved, the saved established, the established train and the train sent out. That's what our vision is. That's what our goal is. So that we come together and we recognize that we've got to reach beyond our Jerusalem out to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. It's not just within these four walls, but it takes everybody working together in harmony. The body of Christ fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, working together to become more efficient and effective in reaching a lost world for Jesus There's nothing more important to Jesus than than getting people that are lost into the kingdom of God. That is more important to him than anything. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And so the vision is that we would come together, even in a greater way, and truly join our forces together, bring our gifts, our talents, and our abilities together to work together to see to it that we're as effective as we possibly can be in touching hearts and lives of people that are going to be lost without Jesus. And you know what the most difficult people group is to target? Religious people. It's the truth. I grew up in a religion that didn't teach you must be born again, spirit filled and so on. And I was lost until I was 24 years old. You can sit in church all day. You'll never be a Christian just by sitting in church. You can sit in the garage all day and never be a car. Right? So it's important to know from the pulpit, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Jesus said you must. Okay, look at Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. And the reason why we've, we've been stressing and emphasizing uh, servanthood is to instill within our hearts and minds, and that's all of us, that we're all servants. Paul called himself a love slave for Jesus and, you know, that's being missed in our society today. Uh, I'll be honest with you. People want to go to church just to go to church and say, I put my time in. A lot of people are like that. None of you. But a lot of people out there in the world are like that. Because we've got the best congregation in the world here. No one's like that here at Christian Assembly Church. You love God. You want to serve God. You want to receive from God. You want to take what you're learning out there in the world and revolutionize the world that you're living in. Amen? Amen. That's right, but many want to come just to be entertained, and we're not here to entertain. We don't want the fake smoke, fake smog, and all that sort of thing. We want genuine, heartfelt worship of God in spirit and in truth so that when we gather together, the oil of the anointing falls like on aaron's head down his beard all the way down his robe and just encompasses every single one of us in such a way so that even manifestations of healing and deliverances and even salvation take place without even an altar call people just run just to get it praise god number two understanding and this is so important understanding that we need one another look at first corinthians chapter 12 we need one another Look at what it says, for as the body is one and has many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also was Christ for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where is the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where is the smelling? But now has God set members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him? And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are there many members, yet one body? And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Who's the head? Jesus, who's the foot? Anyone else that Paul considered himself less than least of all the saints. Not one body part can say to the other body part, I don't need you. Just because I don't see with my hand doesn't mean I don't need my hand. Just because I don't hear with my foot doesn't mean I don't need my foot. In other words, my eye is designed to see. My hand is designed to use for different purposes. And my feet for walking, etc., etc., right? And so we understand we can't say, I'm not needed. So some people think they come to a body like this. I'm not really needed. No one really needs me to do anything. That's not true. Everyone is necessary. Everyone is needed. And so when some say I can just be a good Christian by sitting at home and watching all the ministries on TV and that sort of thing. And thank God for social media that we have today. We just appreciate that so very much. But God has gifted every single one of us with a spiritual gift, with a motivational gift, We all have gifts that are on the inside of us, just waiting to be displayed and waiting to be used. For what reason? To advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. God wants our hearts to beat with his heartbeat, which is the salvation of the lost, the setting of the captives free. And the only way we can do that is by coming together and understanding that we all need one another in the body to take our place and do our part to become productive fruit bearing branches in the vine. So that we can be more effective in reaching our world for Jesus. And that's the ultimate aim and goal. Number three. Understanding the call. Ephesians chapter 4. Every one of us has a holy calling. See sometimes when you say that. Some people think that it's only those that are called. In a front, let's say front line or fivefold ministry have a calling. No. Every one of us has a call of God upon our lives. Every single one of us is called of God. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore the prisoner. Or the love slave of the Lord beseech you, beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. This is our life's vocation. And sometimes people don't realize that. Our primary vocation is this with all loneliness, notice these words, and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, what's the endeavor? We're putting forth effort to do what? endeavoring to keep or protect the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace notice the effort he's talking to a church and he's telling this church look each of you has a high and holy calling and what is it that you work as hard as you possibly can to promote unity among the body and it includes what unity requires humility Thoughts and attitude towards God. Meekness our thoughts and attitudes towards each other. Take those two right there and explore those. Humility is my thought and attitude toward God. I humble myself before the very throne of God that I might be used as he wants to use me. Meekness is my thoughts and attitudes toward you. Then patience. I don't know about you, but my wife has to be patient with me sometime. Not a lot. <laughs> How about yours with you? Usually, which, which you know, when we go out to eat, she knows that I'm little, just a little fussy. I got that from my mother. Just, just a little fussy. I better stop right there with all that. Patience is the ability to remain constant no matter what changes are taking place or adversity that takes place. And then forbearing one another. Forbearing is basically exercising self control, understanding that we're not all the same. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our strengths. And you know what? If I just look at someone and just look at their weaknesses, I'm not forbearing that person in love. We're to love each other in such a way as to make allowances for our differences, allowances for. The things that maybe we don't like. So it's important we recognize this and understand this and do our part to do what? Promote the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace every time we gather together. And then also in our homes and etc. But now understanding the goal is also key. Look at the goal. The goal of unity. John 17 is revealed to us by the Lord himself. In John 17... Neither pray I for, the, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Neither pray I the, for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, what's your prayer, Jesus, for all of us that will believe through your word? That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. You talk about, wow, something that's extreme. That they also may be one in us, that the world That the world, look at the goal, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know, he repeats it, that you have sent me and has loved them as you have loved me. Can you now see why the enemy wants to put in a mucky wrench? And just bring all kinds of division in, in people groups, in churches and families and that sort of thing. Why? To undermine the goal of unity. The goal of unity is when people see us full of life. And when they see us as a church body and they hear that we're working together, cooperating with each other, loving each other, forbearing each other, being humble before the Lord and serving the Lord, forbearing each other in love. And they see that and we create this atmosphere of unity that brings the glory into manifestation. Amen. It's a draw to the people that are out there in the world. They're drawn to that. My goodness, when they see us serving each other, serving the Lord and serving each other and then reaching out, launching out and serving other people that are in the world, guess what? I want that. Man, where do you go to church at? I don't know about you, but I get very tired listening to some people, I'll say, on TV begging and begging and begging and begging and begging for money. Does that bother you? It's like it's the ultimate thing is just keep begging for money. I believe if we do what God has called us to do, he'll supply the need. I don't think you've ever heard me preach a message begging for anything, especially money. Have you? But I do share with you, we need to give according to Scripture, right? But that's between you and God. And I encourage us all to do it. But you see, there's going to be division among people that are not on the same wavelength. It's up to us to recognize the fact that we've got to come together to win the world for Jesus. And when they see us coming from this perspective that we're not doing anything but loving each other loving god reaching out to the world serving people out there in the world they want to be a part of something like that we're not to be walking around with our heads hung low come and join me to be a christian you could be down in the dumps too we can wallow in the mire together i have a pity party every other week and i'm thinking about upping it to every week come on over and join me we'll have pizza and pity And if you want pepperoni with your pity and pizza, we'll do that too. Right? No, come and rejoice in the Lord with us. We love God. We serve God. And we come to meet to honor Him. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. The goal, once again, we're getting close. And he gave some, here's the fivefold ministry, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up the body of Christ till we all come in the what? In the what? the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that you henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro carried about by every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie waiting to deceive but speaking the truth and love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head even Christ from the whole bo- from the whole body fitly joined together compacted by that which every joint supplies Think about that. Every joint supplies. For what purpose? To edify, make it increase of the body, to edify itself in love. So here we see the goal the goal of the fivefold ministry, the goal of bringing people together the goal of saying we need to be a part of a local body of believers where we impart something. It could just be your finances. It could just be you're sending out cards. It could be just making a phone call. Having a hospital visit. Bringing a meal for someone. We've got a ministry that we when people go to the hospital, we bring a meal. And you know, we've only got a certain few people that do that. And we thank God that they do, but maybe others are out there that can help out in this way. And so we can help people along the way. And when people see that happening in a church body of believers, they want to be a part of something like that why because it's what it's all about loving each other caring for each other loving god first and foremost reaching out to other people helping those that are out in need those that are out there that are in need sometimes going out with our youth to go and just rake up some leaves in a lawn of some someone who is a widow or someone who is uh handicapped and, and that sort of thing we want to reach out we want to be a church this is the vision that reaches beyond our four walls and using all our abilities to grow In the things of God and reach out and fulfill the purpose of God. And finally, the last thing is so important to understand this. We need to understand the danger of division and what it does. Go on back to that verse, as I said earlier, Mark 3. Jesus accused casting out devils by the prince of the devils, Beelzebub. And Jesus said these words, If a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. You can insert other things. If a nation divides against itself, it can't stand. If a business divides against itself, it cannot stand. If a family be divided, it can't stand. If a marriage be divided, it can't stand. And the list goes on and on. And even when it comes to any kind of relationship, it can't stand if the people are divided. Now, here's the key. People coming together. All it takes is two people for division to exist. You realize that? Because you see, for example, let's say two people that get married. When two people get married... Love is blossoming. When they start living together. I always put the lid on the peanut butter jar when I'm done. And I put it in a cupboard. I don't squeeze the toothpaste in the middle. I squeeze it from the bottom. Yeah, I know because Jesus is coming over to look and make sure where you squeezed it. Mm-hmm. I don't fold the towels that way. My mother never folded the towels that way. Get used to it. (laughs) Shall we continue? (laughs) It just takes two people to get together. And, you know, one's a female, one's a male. You've got gender differences. You've got family history differences. My mother's meatballs are better than yours. Don't you tell that to my mother. Mm -mm 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 -mm. My mother's sauce I can drink with a straw. Why don't you make it like my mother's? You don't want to go down that path. Mm, Honey, it's delicious. I love it. Almost as good as my mother. No, it's as good as my And remember when two people get, come together, that's just two people. They bring in their gender. They bring in their family history. They bring in their background. They bring in their character traits and personalities and that sort of thing, right? And we have to blend those two lives together. The goal, what is the goal of marriage? What did he say in the beginning? Leave, cleave, become one. The goal is unity. Do you see that? That's the whole goal. And so we need to work hard at that and put forth the effort that is necessary to achieve that goal. And so division, and let's, let's look at the closing text here, last, these last two. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, know you not, and he said this many times, Paul did, he's saying, if you follow on this course, continue on this course, know you not that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. He's speaking about a body. The body of Christ is a holy temple of God that belongs to God. And this holy temple needs to be heading in the right direction. But look at the next one in chapter three, because this was this is really what. Uh, beginning at verse one, this is where he was talking about the path. If you stay on this path. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as to spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as mere men? For while one saith, I'm a Paul, I'm a, another, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that plants anything, neither is he that waters anything, but God that gives the increase. Do you see the message that he's saying? He's talking about division. He's talking about strife. He's talking about envy and all these different things that do what bring or tear apart. A ministry or a family or a marriage. And if it's allowed to, it'll happen. But it's up to us to put forth every effort to see to it. It's not going to happen. Everyone takes their place. Everyone does their part. And you know why I'm saying all this? Because God wants to take us to another level. God wants to take us to another level. And it's going to involve all of us coming together, renewing our minds to this, taking our place, doing our part, and let the glory fall. Let's all stand together before the Lord.